The contents of this podcast are provided for general information and educational purposes only and do not constitute investment, accounting, legal, tax or other professional advice. Welcome to the Money Magnet Podcast, helping you attract and keep a fortune that counts with co-hosts self-made money magnet Steve McKnight and esteemed journalist Rowan Wen. Hello, Rowan. It's a day for reflection. Are you ready to reflect? I am, mate. Do we need mirrors? We don't need mirrors. Do your kids use mirrors, by the way? Well... Because I've noticed my kids do not use mirrors anymore. Like my daughter, she was looking at her phone, you know, and had it in her hand. And I was like, I'm doing her hair. I'm like, are you talking on the phone and doing her hair? She had the camera on. So that's the new mirror. They only need their little smartphones to do their hair and makeup. Can I just say it's been a while since I've needed to look in a mirror to do my hair? Well, you're a handsome devil anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess that's a reflection on these kids, isn't it? Boom, boom. And a reflection on me as well. You're quite good with these dad jokes. Well done. Thank you very much. I do what I can. It drives the kids nuts. Okay. So here we go. I would like to give you a dad joke. Oh, really? I would. Okay. Reciprocal dad jokes. What did the Napoli's farmer say when his rooster laid an egg? So the farmer from Nepal... What did Had he a rooster s- that laid an egg. Yeah, what did he say? Don't know. Look at the Himalaya. <laughs> so the rooster identifies as a man or it isn't? Oh, God, you're, anyway, I always thought that joke was a pretty funny one. All right, it's a little lame, but that's okay. Steve, I like it. I'm not sure what that has got to do with the mirrors. Nothing. It's did just the, me the sharing a dad joke as well. All right, good dad joke. Now, like today, we embark into part four of your book, Money Magnet, which is a brilliant book. And the topic for discussion is how people define significance. Yeah. So you begin by talking about mountains. Can you tell us about that story? Yeah, absolutely. I had this notion of when you're trying to go on a journey, and we were doing a lot of hiking when I was writing the book, when by we I mean my wife Jules and I, and this notion of having to hike up a hill, which can be strenuous and difficult, it's a climb, you need perseverance, you need a bit of courage to take it on. And I had this idea of two mountains, the first mountain that you hike being the survival mountain, trying to make enough to make ends meet. Yep. And you think, oh, great, I finally got to the top of this mountain. Maybe I've got financial freedom. And you think, well, the view is going to be fantastic. It's going to be fun. All my problems are going to go away. I've made it. I've made it. Yep. And then when you get to the top, you look up and you see an even bigger mountain behind it that you Ah. couldn't see from the ground. So a false summit. And that's the significance mountain, which is, okay, well done. You've made money. But how are you going to use that money to make your life count? How do you get that money meaning? Hmm, exactly. you read your book, that's what you're talking about, right? That's right. And did you ever see that movie Sister Act, Ro? Yeah, I did actually. Whoopi Goldberg, right? Was a nun. long time ago. She was a nun on the run from crime, I yeah, think. From they, movie, yeah, well, she became a faux nun yep. to have a bit of witness protection, I think it was. Yep. Anyway, there's a scene in the movie where she gets this check and it's for a large sum of money and she's kind of got a donate it. Actually, no, that's not the movie. No, it's we don't a ghost. You're talking about ghosts. Yeah, yeah, I remember got it, that. got it wrong. That's right. She's the savant and she's got this check and she's got it handed over. Yeah. Because the ghost is telling her to. Yeah. Because yeah. it's not her money. That's, that's right. right. She was a psychic. So she doesn't want to hand it over, but begrudgingly she's sort of fighting with the person. And in the end, she's like, oh, well, that's kind of how it is with sometimes giving money away. You work yeah, right. so hard for it yeah. that when it comes time to being able to bless other people with it, you're kind of like, oh, God, I don't want to give it up. I don't, and you begrudgingly give it over. So is that how it feels for you? Oh, there's a personal reflection. You know, sometimes, honestly, it does. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you wonder whether people are going to use it wisely 
feel that way paying tax all the time. Like you got to pay tax, and the government just finds new ways of squandering it. Yeah, but I kind well, of. I got to. I'm going to jump in there. I slightly disagree, but you know, oh, people don't like paying tax, but they like the fact that there's a safety and there's hospitals and there's roads. Yeah, but there's don't get a, me wrong. There is a lot of waste. There's a billion dollars for ripping up a contract, and we go hundreds of millions and billions of dollars over on projects, and then we hear the government turn around us and say, "Oh no, we don't worry about business cases and budgets. We just get things done." Dude, I, I hear what you're saying. Having hearing a premier say it'll cost what it costs is an absolute disgrace. For example, but. Broadly speaking, we also do need taxes for society to function. So what that scene meant to me was, Roe, the notion of are you a cheerful giver? Mm. And, and are you? Kind of some days. Well, I like to be generous on my terms. I don't like to be forced I've to be generous. That. Yes. And that brings out sometimes a, a side of me which is like, well, you're forcing me to be generous here and I've lost control and so now I'm compelled and that takes away the, the blessing in my view from me giving it freely. But don't be hard on yourself because I think – in order to get rich, nobody gets rich by giving money away, right? Your whole job in your mindset has to be accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. And then you've got to flip that. So I can understand the struggle you must go through with well, that. that's being. the second mountain, isn't it? Because what got you to the top of the first mountain is not what's going to get you to the top of the second mountain. Correct. It's the opposite. You need something completely different. Yeah. So the topic we're talking about here is defining success. And then that's the question. How do you define success? Well, it reminds me of a song written by the greatest songwriter in the history of all songwriters ever. That Mr. George Michael, not a perfect person, but it, you know, he did his best. And he wrote a song called Waiting for That Day Reprise, right, which was the last song on Listen Without Prejudice, Volume 1. There was never a Volume 2. Anyway, the lyrics go, I'll read them out because I've got them written down. They remind me when I was reading your chapter. There ain't no point in moving on until you've got somewhere to go. And the road that I've walked upon, well, it filled my pockets and emptied out my soul. And it's true. It's kind of like he gets to that first plateau and he goes, I've got more money than I could ever spend. And he never spent all his money before he died, obviously. But there's no meaning in it. So I've got to find meaning. And how do you find meaning if you don't translate it to money? Which comes back to the question for you. How do you think most people define success in today's society? Well, they're taught in a capitalist society to point at the stuff they've got and say, look, I won, you know, but there's got to be more to life than that. Do you judge it by the size of your bank balance? Whoever's got the bigger bank balance is more successful, the bigger house, the nicer car, the better holidays, the... I don't, but people do. Yeah. Well, how do you measure success? What What would you... If you looked at someone and you really knew them, you would say, well, that person was successful because they... Well, I... Professionally, I think that you have to have a job that actually achieves something for society. I'm a big believer in giving back. So if you notice the jobs that I've chosen, without being up myself, the jobs that I've chosen have been ones where I can impact on people's lives in a positive way. Whether it's journalism and you f fix their problems for them, or in politics, you know, we'll go and do very specific campaigns, whether it's Crown or Hillsong or, you know, we're doing something I can't talk about actually coming up, but that'll be very impactful too. And, you know, so you try and find ways. Yeah, you're making coin and you're paying off houses, but you're also doing the right by others. That, to me, is success. And, obviously, if you take it even a step back further, if your kids love you, if you're a good dad, if you can keep the missus happy, these things are important. Hmm. Your thoughts? I can see you reflecting. Yeah. Without a mirror, buddy. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure there's a right answer because everyone has their own definition of success. But what I do think is that rarely do you get to the end of your life and think, I wish I made more. Usually what I happens... I poor people might, mate, just quietly. Well, possibly. I mean, this is a very sort of privileged white male conversation we're having here just quietly. Yeah, but the notion of I wish I had have done something better with my life, I don't know what better is, more impactful. We're going to talk about legacy in a future episode. And yeah. as we do, the point that I want to reflect ahead of time is that for many people, their legacy is their children, their progeny. 
And that's great, but that'll last a generation. What we're talking about here in terms of significance is your possessions will be distributed when you die, hopefully according to your will, but that's not necessarily a legal precedent. That's just your last instructions that you hope people are going to follow. Mm. That said, if your definition of success is the amount of possessions that you've acquired, then what's the benefit of that to the people who receive it? Do they get some utility out of it? Do they get to have a nice holiday, buy a new car or a new house or or something? So I went to George Michael, but you went to Jesus, right? You you thought about what? what, (laughs) So you turned to to, to put your... Exactly. Well, you know, they're both good guys. The point I'm making is that Jesus is very important in your life. And so you went and looked at his life lessons and that helped you figure out what legacy was going to be like or what significance was going to be like? Yeah, well, I was similar to perhaps the situation I'm describing here where I had made a lot of money out of real estate, enough money to never have to work again, but still wasn't feeling successful. I was successful on the notion of, wow, you've bought a lot of property, and I was successful on the notion of, wow, you've made a lot of money. But when I looked at myself in the mirror, Mm -hmm. reflected as we're talking about today, I was like, but this isn't nourishing my soul. It's feeding my ego, but it's not nourishing my soul. Mm. And this whole part of the book, row is around how can you make your money count by using it to invest in things that matter. And in the book, you give two examples, don't you? You talk about a bet you made with God, which is funny thing to do. And then there was something else as well. Let's start with the, the bet with God. Well, I had this notion one year where I was going to try and outgive God. And I was thinking, right, what's the sum of money that you could give him? I've got to stop there. Yeah, how, how do you outgive God? He's done quite a bit of work, if you believe in him. A bit like building a Tower of Babel. But I just thought, I'm going to give away such a large sum of money that I can say, God, isn't that impressive? Which sounds entirely the wrong motive to do so. I, <laughs> it's I, so I, bad. I acknowledge that. Yeah. But anyway, I thought I'd give it a go. And I gave away more money that year than I had probably ever given away in all the other years of my life added up. Mm-hmm. We're talking... A large sum of money by pretty much any one stretch of imagination. And that was the year that the fund that I was running, the US fund, did so well that I got a performance bonus, which was many times the amount that I had mm, I given away. Yeah. And I kind of felt like God looking down on me and laughing and saying, is that really the best you can do? Because it's it's not really that good. Come on, Steve, you've got to be able to do better. Okay. And I don't want people to see God as some sort of ATM or return on money given because that's not the way it works. But it was a futile attempt at me to try and say, look at how much I've given and I should feel good about that. Mm. It was kind of an attack on your pride in a sense, wasn't it? Mm, Exactly. Right. The other example relates to an American church, is Mm. that right? Which could have been in Sister Act, the wrong movie, but yeah. (laughs) Thank you for bringing that up again. (laughs) The situation there was we were living in America for a year and we went and visited a church in Savannah, Georgia, a black church, African-American church. And we were the only white people there. And what I remember about that service was that it went so long they even had an intermission. You're joking. Went for hours. Did they have popcorn and stuff? (laughs) They did not, but they had lots of really heartfelt worship music and it really was very different to the white churches that you go to perhaps around the place. But during that service at some point, they said that they were raising money to try and buy a little minivan to go around and pick people up and bring them to church and cart the old people around during the week. And afterwards we went up and we said, well, how much are you trying to raise for Mm -hmm. the minivan? And they said, oh, it was about five grand. And I said, well, all right, thanks for letting us know. And Jules and I went and discussed it. And we sent them a check for five grand and and bought the minibus. And they replied back to us saying, 
how grateful they were and how generous they, they thought we were to have come to visit their church and ended up being the one that, that gave them the financial blessing. Beautiful. So what do you make of that then? How did it make you feel? Well, this is the return of significance. It's the reflection you get when you give and the joy you receive back from giving. And there's been a few instances in my life, Ro, where I've given money and got nice cards and people have said thank you and things. And it, you kind of think, wow, it really actually has had an impact. And for me, it gives a context for making more money so that you can give more of it away and basically feel like a person that's touched, moved and inspired other people. That makes sense. But there'll be people listening now who possibly don't even have five grand to give away. What do you say to them? What can they do? Well, it's not the sum that matters. Jesus talks about the poor widow who gave two copper coins into the temple treasury and she gave more than all the wealthy people who were throwing money in hand over fist. Because it's more to her. Because it's meant more to her. Yeah. So I don't think it's the sum that's the important point here. More so the heart to want to participate, to give from what you've got, if that might be a lot or that might be a little, and to feel that you're not solely focused on survival and looking at every dollar and trying to climb that mountain and then finally get to the end exhausted, die and not have had the benefit and the blessing from being significant as well. So paraphrase George Michael, you've got to not just fill your pockets, but also feed your soul, right? I think so. And I think those people that miss out on the blessing of feeding their soul don't get to experience the joy that is what you get from being a blessing to others. All right. So what's the take-home message then? Well, imagine survival and significance were two bank accounts, right? Got it. Yep. And what's the balance in these accounts? And what does that say about how you use your money and where your heart and your focus is? So if you've got a giant balance in your survival account yep. and a tiny balance in your significance. Something's wrong. Well, it just means that you're focused on survival, which is great. But does that also then mean that you use your money to feed your ego? How much is enough? And are there other people and causes that you might like to be a benefactor of to add more meaning to your money and more meaning to your life? the answer is no, well, then it's not for me to judge you. It's not the purpose of this podcast, but it's for me to invite you to be a part of something bigger, to use your money to add to your significance account. So you're kind of saying that money without meaning makes the money meaningless. Exactly. What I would say is counting your money is about turning struggle into survival. Making your money count is about turning survival into significance. Good words, Steve. Thanks for the chat, buddy. See you next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Money Magnet podcast. If you have questions or would like to provide feedback, then please send an email to podcast at moneymagnet.au.